Janet. Don't we love Janet? Yeah, I do. You didn't let me just have that moment with you. You just walked right off the platform. We do love you. And this is a great chance for me to tell you I love being your pastor. I consider it a great, great honor, uh, high calling on most days. Uh, but I love, really, I love, it's a privilege to be called the pastor of the Peninsula Covenant Church. And this is my day. I've got five daughters, so this is a big day for me. And uh, I was talking to two of my girls in the south already. They're out of the house. And actually, I called Hannah, who lives in North Carolina, and I said, hi, sweetheart. And I go, what are you doing? She goes, funny you're calling. I'm reading your Valentine's Day card from last year. And I thought, oh. But then Ann and I said, no Valentine's Day cards this year. I'm like, darn, I should have sent her one. Um, but uh, our fifth daughter came from the Congo, and this is really personal. She wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for one of those medical clinics. Uh, in the process of adopting, took a year to get her. We heard she had malaria, uh, and it kills two million kids a year. Um, and they rushed her to a medical clinic, and um, she's alive today because of that. She bears a big scar, but uh, so that's very personal for me, and thank you for your adopting uh, the number of clinics and the hospitals that we're involved in over there. Thank you. Uh, the woman that's leading this charge is with us. I just want to acknowledge her. Merritt, where are you? Can you stand up, Merritt, so we can just thank you for, um, for doing that. It's awesome. So, um, She's the head of Paul Carlson Partnership, and they're doing all of that in the, um, in the Congo. So let's pray, and let's, uh, let's dive in together. God is love. Lord, thank you that you define us, and you define our reality, and that um, love is who you are. And we get it wrong with each other. We've taken the beauty of love. The enemy has completely degraded it. And we all bear scars because of that. And you know, you care. So we ask that you would meet us now as we um, walk these roads in a world filled with trouble. You promised it. That we'd find who you are and your remedy, your prescription for walking through trouble. And we pray that you'd meet us. I know there's trouble in the room. Every one of us wrote or could write on one of those cards. As we reflect, I pray for authenticity, and that as we bring it to you, I pray for true hope and healing as we journey this road. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the door's locked. Uh, the candles are lit, I believe, in the room. The evening Jerusalem air is blowing through the upper room and through, there's no windows, but through the window where windows would be. It's just Jesus and his men. Now they're down to 11. The story of John starts broad and gets less and less. Pretty soon it'll be Jesus and three. And then it'll be just Jesus on a cross. So it's just him and his men. The disciples have had their feet washed. The meal's been served and consumed. And many words could describe the room that night. Uh, Love would certainly describe the room that night. Chaos, grief, confusion. And while many words describe the room, only one word marks the room. And that word's used four times in chapter 12, 13, 14, 15. Every chapter contains the word. We'll see it today. It's the word troubled. Troubled. Now Jesus is troubled because of what laid before him. He knew what they didn't. 
that there was a gruesome, literally excruciating, we get the word crucify, excruciating experience ahead of him. Uh, the disciples are troubled, the 10 of them that remain, or the 11 of them that remain, because they just saw one of their own that they trusted. They have no idea who Judas was internally. Leave the room after Jesus said, what you're about to do, go do quickly. You're going to betray me. Get out of here. So they're going, what is going on? And then they're troubled because they hear Jesus saying, we'll see, and it was read for us, I'm not going to be with you much longer. Judas is wandering the streets of Jerusalem looking for where he will sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He's not experiencing peace either. Troubled marks the air that night. And I think what takes place in John 13, 14, 15, 16 are four of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. Of all of Scripture. If I had to go to a desert island with just four chapters, it might just be these. Because Jesus is concerned with his men Specifically, how do I equip you to exist in the world as my disciples without me? So we'll see in here amazing teaching on abiding in him, the role of the Holy Spirit, putting our now in the context of eternity. These chapters are very, very important. Relevant for them, very relevant for us. But they're troubled. Here's what the word means when Jesus spoke it 2,000 years ago. To stir to agitate, literally to strike one's spirit with fear and dread. It implies an inward, um, inward uh, calmness that's being shaken and robbed from a person to be troubled. Trouble is just part of the human condition. As a matter of fact, Jesus not only experienced trouble, and if the perfect man experienced trouble, it's not a sin to be troubled. Let's be very clear about that. He experienced trouble, and he was perfect. You ready for this? He promised trouble. Now, no one told me this when I became a Christian. God loves you. You get heaven, but it'll be hell on earth. Okay, no one told me that. John chapter 16, verse 33. Look at this. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me, this is still that upper room, what's called the upper room discourse, in me you'll have peace. Praise God. In this world, here's what you get. Trouble. That's true for followers of Christ or not yet followers of Christ. Trouble is a given in the human existence. Whether you know Christ or don't, there will be troubling experiences in your life, in my life. We would do well to recognize this. Now, Wednesday night, I'm speaking at House, which is our high school group uh, that's awesome across the way. And um, I'm nervous. I'm scared to death. I did this for a living for 17 years, but I've been so far removed. High schoolers scare me. And so, um, even though they live in my house. Um, but I've been doing some research and found that, according to psychology today, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. All the teenagers are going, yeah, that's right, that's right. I have a senior... I cannot tell you the stress that she's under in her high school program at Sequoia. Great program, but, and then college applications, and then all the friend drama around her life. What kind of world have we created for our adolescents today? What kind of pressure have we put on them? So, forget about adolescents for a minute. Let me ask you, what's troubling you today? 
Take a moment, reflect. You wrote it on a card. Maybe you want to write it in your notes. What are your troubles that you bring into the sanctuary today? Look, I know we all dress up, and uh, some of us dress up, and uh, we all you know, try to look nice. That's appropriate, right, as we gather. But here's what I know about each one of you. You carry troubles internally. Something is stirring in you. Something is robbing your peace of mind. What is it for you? You've got to identify that before we go on, okay? Otherwise, the sermon won't mean a lot to you. What's your trouble? Take a moment and reflect on that. I could write relational issues that are troubling me. Um, I could write future issues that are troubling me. Uh, My parents' ailing disease troubles me. Uh, Five daughters in fear of the world that they're living in and choices. They're great, but fearing, you know, I always go to fear, choices they could be making. Here's what uh, troubled the disciples. Here's, if you're looking on page one, death was near. Look in verse 33. Jesus says, my children, I will only be with you a little while longer. Uh, Jesus knew what they didn't. He is about to be arrested. Okay? And Jesus is continually in charge of this situation. No one took his life. He gave it away. And he's saying to them, I'm about to be with you no longer. And then Jesus knew this, and they had no idea. He knew how they would die. Jesus knew each one of those 11 men, with the exception of one, would die a martyr's death. They'd be crucified, they'd be sawn in two, they'd be, uh, their heads would be cut off. Just terrible, terrible deaths. He knew that awaited each one of them. The one who didn't die would be ba- uh, boiled alive and survived and just banished to an island to bake in the sun, an island called Patmos. The fact that death is near troubles people. And like Woody Allen said, it's not that I fear death. I just don't want to be there when it happens, you know. Uh, It's not as followers of Christ. We don't fear what happens after death because our eternity is secure. But the process of death can bring about trouble in us. Daily problems troubled them. Look in verse 33. Jesus said, you're going to look for me just as I told the Jews. I'm telling you right now, where I'm going, you can't come. In other words, your future, our future together is with you walking by yourself without me bodily next to you that caused trouble and they thought how are we going to make it jesus wait a second we're not ready for this we don't want you to be gone there would be heartache over this breakup and they were troubled over that how do i make it through the day maybe you have daily problems where you think through bills need to be paid or jobs need to be had or what do i do about this i need wisdom in raising these kids we all have daily problems that cause trouble Then they had disobedience. On top of that, Peter stands up and just runs off at the mouth before his mind's engaged. Like, I don't know where you're going, but I lay down my life for you. And that was like Jesus' Popeye moment. It's all I can take. I can't take no more. And without anger but full love, Jesus says, really, Peter? Really? I'm done with you being a poser. And this is what I love about Jesus. He exposes things in us. Because he knows posing in the hypocrisy of saying one thing and living another way is killing us and people around us. It does nothing for the cause of Christ. And so Jesus calls them out and says, this very night, you're going to betray me. Now, how would you like it if I pulled you up 
Let's just say, I, I, Janet knows, I think she hangs the moon. I just think she is the greatest. But imagine, she has a signature sin. Imagine me bringing her up and saying, this is the thing of Janet's biggest shame and biggest hurt and expose it before everybody. Think how she would feel. That's in essence what Jesus is doing in love to Peter because he's so hard-headed, he needs that kind of exposure to jar him. Disobedience. Do you get a feel for the room? One thing I know, each one of us carries a degree of trouble. Can we just say that? Can we just all nod? We all have troubles. Everyone, anyone not have trouble? You want to testify? (laughs) Just checking. Not really. We value authenticity, right? Okay, so we all have troubles, okay? We all carry heartache or mindache, right? And Jesus has a remedy for that. Trouble and abundance can go side by side in life. And Jesus says, I'm not going to take the troubles away. My remedy is internal, where the core of the trouble is brewing. So what's his, what's his remedy? Open to page two. Let's look at that. And let me just say, this is not three happy steps to a trouble-free life. Everyone, trouble-free living, look right here. That's heaven. That's heaven. On this earth, troubles abound, okay? But we can still have abundance, and that's what Jesus is teaching here. And so let me give these to you. I think they'll be of value to all of us. Here's the first. Jesus is saying to them, there's a God for you. There is a God for you. He knew what was before them. It would be literally hell on earth. They would experience the worst in life. And Jesus says, in the midst of those troubles, you can live abundantly because I'm for you. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, right? Believe also in me. Look at the next verse, verse 27. Peace I leave you. Then it's very personal. My peace. I give you my peace as a gift. I don't give it the way the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Jesus has them and he looks at them and he's like, look, I know you believe in Yahweh. I know you believe in that God that inhabits the Holy of Holies, that a high priest can only go in once a year. I know you believe in the God of Mount Sinai that Moses went up and met with. But while Moses was up there, no one could touch the mountain. No one could go on the mountain. Otherwise, they'd die instantly. That's me. I'm him. And you're believing me for eternity Believe me for your everyday troubles. In other words, Jesus is saying, and take this one to the bank, okay? I'm bigger than what's bigger than you. I'm bigger than what's bigger than you. Every one of those troubles you're facing, even death itself, as Jesus will demonstrate, he's bigger than And he's saying, you know what? You all look externally for something to tether your life to when troubles come. We want people near us. We want the circumstances uh, done away with. We go to external substances sometimes to anesthetize the pain. And Jesus says, I've got a better option. Look to me. Turn to me. Let me be your refuge. Let me be the one who takes you through trouble. With the bedrock conviction that God is in control of all things, come the assurance that because he cannot be defeated, neither can we. That our lives, in the hands of a personal God who's aware of us, will ultimately, powerfully, personally, allow those troubles to come into our lives and use them for his glory and for the good of people. I said that really quickly, but it is a truth that has anchored me through such pain in life that's unbelievable, that God never wastes a pain. 
that every trouble surrenders to his lordship. And whatever you wrote on your page, be it a physical ailment, a spiritual ailment, a relational challenge, a character challenge, even that ultimately has to bend to the lordship of Jesus Christ. All those sleepless nights, all those crying out, every single one of your tears, God's aware. And he will use it for his glory and for the good of people. Uh, Most of you know that on uh, December 15th, 13 years ago, uh, my brother was uh, killed in a tragic hit-and-run accident. Uh, I remember vividly that, obviously, that experience. And uh, I had a a powerful experience coming back after that uh, and preparing for Christmas Eve services. I would study at the time down at St. Patrick's Seminary in um, Menlo Park. And I studied there so often, they ended up just giving me the key. And so they just said, just close it down yourself. So I would have the whole seminary to myself. It was awesome. And so I was there, on, I think it was December 22nd. It was a late night, and I was studying, and I was getting ready to close up, and I wanted to walk to the chapel. They have a beautiful chapel at St. Pat's. And um, I remember turning out of, the, out of the library down this hall. It's this old Gothic hall, and it was dark on the end, and the light was behind me at the library. And I remember just stopping and going, and it was just me, so I was just praying out loud, just going, wow, God. This feels like the road you're asking me to walk, the road of death, the road of darkness. I go, I don't want to walk that road. I don't want that to define me. I didn't ask for that. I certainly didn't ask for that at this time in my life. How am I going to do that? And I just sat there and just was, had this soliloquy going with me and God. I felt Jesus going, you're not walking alone. There's no other road to walk but that walk. And we'll walk it together. Thirteen years later, I can tell you, by the grace of God, Jesus has walked that road in amazing ways, and healing has taken place to the point where last Wednesday night, we're at at the Ash Wednesday service in here, powerful service, great service. And a man stops me right over here, and he said, hey, I'm new here. He goes, Gary Gadini, did you have a brother named Bob? Yeah, he goes, oh my gosh. He goes, Bob was my son's teacher. He taught at a Christian high school. And he said, "Um, my son put the sermon outline. I preached Bob's. Bob had five memorials. No one should have. Jesus didn't have five memorials, right? (laughs) But I I got to preach one of them. And he said, my son took the talking point to that. He has it framed in his room. Uh, And you know, he's in seminary right now because of the influence of your brother. I'm going, oh my gosh. He goes, it gets worse or better. He goes, um, at the time, he had a disease that was causing him to go blind. He goes, he's blind now in seminary. And he, he goes, he'll be blown away. It's just so crazy, the difference your brother made in my son's life. See, it's stuff like that where I just go, oh, my gosh, God, you don't waste the pain. And thank you for the goodness of just giving me a glimpse of what you brought out of incredible tragedy. That's what Jesus is saying. You believe in God, believe also in me. I may not take away the trouble, but here's what I will do. I will make the trouble submit to my lordship for the glory of God and for your good. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that's the next statement. Uh, The next step of what Jesus, or point that Jesus gives us is there's a place for you. First, there's a God for you. There's God's presence. There's God's promises. There's God's provision along the way. The second thing, there's a place for you. 
And place is so important, right? We all have this homing device inside us. Look what he says in verse 2. After saying, I'll go with you, look what he says. He takes there now and puts it in the context of eternity. Very important, okay? Because when we're in trouble, the last thing we think of is outside of ourselves, eternity. Look what he says. My father's house has many rooms. He just goes right from there thinking, okay, what can I give you that will tether you through this terrible experience? Ah, let's talk about eternity. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. You know the way to where I'm going. See, usually Jesus says, you think you know, but you don't. Now he's saying, you don't think you know, but you actually do. You know the place to where I'm going. Next to our greatest assurance of having the presence of Jesus walk through all our pain, the very next thing that gives me hope and tethers me through every trouble is the fact that these troubles won't last forever. That my 80 years is a spit in the ocean compared to eternity. And that Jesus has actually two building projects going on. He's preparing a place for me. You ready for this? And he's preparing me for that place. And the only way I will be prepared from that place is through trouble. Look, we pay a lot of money to go see movies. None of us would go see a movie where the main character lives trouble-free. And what kind of movie is that? We love it when there's adversity and there's something needs to be overcome and something's fought for and someone works through something. Why don't we want that in our own life? Why do we think that's the case, that, that we can somehow get through life trouble-free? We all have this insatiable desire as humans for home, right? We have this innate homing device. I'm not talking about brick and mortar, but rather a place to belong, to be welcomed, to be accepted, to be yourself, to be loved where memories are made, where traditions are kept. We all long for the sights, the smells, the sounds, the open door, the food, the community, right? And those smells can bring us back to somewhere. That's what Jesus is getting at here. There's a place I have for you. I'll go prepare it. And I'll prepare you for that place. My father, when he was caring for my mother, uh, she's in her 17th year of Alzheimer's, but when he was her primary caregiver, he started this practice because in the, the, the care for her, he needed some relief. And so he would take her to a place that he had growing up in Hillsburg when he worked the vineyards as a little boy. And every week he'd drive mom up to those vineyards because those vineyards had sights and smells. And just for a day, my dad could have a respite. It was his homing device when he was losing the thing, the woman that meant so much to him. And then as he contracted Alzheimer's just last year, and he's long gone, my father, and his Alzheimer's is still alive, but he's long gone. Um, we rented this RV, and his caregivers, we wheeled his bed into the RV, and we took him to Uncle Frank's farm that he grew up working. And for a day, it's not like he came fully to, but the life in my father being back at this place was amazing. And then put him back in the RV, drove him back to Sacramento, and he went back into wherever he is today in his lostness. What is it about home that we all long for? That longing for home, that longing for community, is actually indicative of a deeper longing inside us, a longing for an eternal home. You were created for home, men and women. 
Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned, the first discipline and consequence of their sin? They were displaced from the garden, from their home. It's the nature of sin. And we'll always, always, always have that internal ache till we find our home in Jesus. And that's his point. Deep down inside, what you're really longing for, I'm going to prepare a place for. And I'm preparing you for that place. Until you recognize the longing inside is found in me, the troubles will get the best of you. But in the midst of your troubles, when you think, okay, this isn't the end, one day there'll be no more ache because I'll be home. Wow, that tethers you through. There's a third thing that Jesus says. And the third thing is, and don't miss this, there's a way for you. There's a way for you. So first, there's a God for you. Second, there's a place for you. Third, there's a way for you. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, and I wonder if there's a pregnant pause, and for the sixth of seven times, we based our whole series on these I am statements. I am the name of God given to Moses in the Old Testament, Exodus 3. Jesus took that seven times and said, that's me. I'm God. I've come in a way you can relate to. I am, and today he says, the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The three things we need most in troubled worlds. worlds. We need a way through. Because so many, don't we all know people who've gone to unhealthy shelters or unhealthy people? And it just compounds the trouble, right? Do we all know people like that? That's some of my experience. Jesus says, I'm the way. We need truth. I won't deceive you. I promise you, you'll get to the destination we both long for if you cling to me. And I'm the life. I will give you the energy to walk that corridor that's pain-stricken. No one comes to the Father but through me. Imagine, uh, back in 1986, I was a college student, and uh, I was taking the ultimate road trip from San Francisco, drove to Boston, and then was flying to Europe to serve as a missionary all summer long. We were in Washington, D.C. the night before we were going to go to Boston and then fly out, and we were just walking around the mall and then walked over to the White House, and back in 1986, what was around the White House was just a metal gate. You, could, you couldn't get close, but you could, it wasn't like what they have today with security. Next to the White House was a building called the Old Executive Office and building. It's still there. And, and at that time, there was a huge portrait of Ronald and Nancy Reagan, uh, who was then the president, in that building. And you could see it from the street. And there was an open gate. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Look at that. Our friends and I were looking at that. And three women walked out. There were three guys in college and three women walked out, young women, that night. And we started a conversation with them. And then finally they go, well, what are you doing here? And we told them. And I said, you know, we're from California. And, man, we're just admiring that, that portrait of Ronald Reagan. And I just said, man, what I would do to go in the White House right now. And then this woman says, we can take you there. And then her friend says, shut up. And I, I just remember this video, shut up. Sorry, girls, uh, young kids, don't use that language. Um, and she goes, no, no, they were on Vice President Bush's White House staff. And they said, follow us. And so we walk in to the old executive office. We take a left. We walk through some corridors. And then we come to a security guard. And he says, what's your social security number? And I give it to him. It's just a monochrome screen. They didn't even have color screens in those days. And the cursor's blinking. And all of a sudden, after my security, social security number comes up, uh, Gary Lawrence Gadini, born 10 7 and my whole life comes up on the screen. 
uh, which they didn't really care about. But what he cared about was the last entrance, criminal record. And when he said none, I'll never forget this. He reached down, gave me an all-security clearance to the White House. Uh, Fifteen minutes later, I was in the Oval Office in the most powerful room in the nation, in the world. Now, let's take that in the context of what Jesus is saying. We're not talking about the White House. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the throne room of heaven. How do we get there? Jesus says, I'm the way. And here's what he doesn't say, because this is what religion says. Let me just give you directions. Turn left here. Turn right there. Turn left here. They don't tell us about the all-security clearance. They don't tell us about what's needed. Just do this, and good luck. We'll see you in heaven. You can depend on the hope so to get there. Jesus says what that woman said to me, follow me. And she didn't say, hey, we've got to turn left here, right? She just, I just followed her. And when we got to the security thing, she said, okay, give him your number. Gave him my number. Now that's where the, it breaks down, right? Because we all have a criminal record. It's called sin. Anyone never sin here, right? Okay, uh, Jesus at that point replaced criminal records with us. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we get into eternity. That's what Jesus is saying to these guys here. There's a way for you. Follow me. Trust me. I'll take you through every turn. And here's the best thing. We'll end up at the destination we both had in mind when you were created. Follow me. Very important. So there's what Jesus' remedy for troubled hearts. There's a God for you. There's a place for you. There's a way for you. And in the end, Jesus promised, I won't waste this pain if you surrender it to me and let me walk you down the road. As a matter of fact, the pain will be an ally to you because it will bring hope and healing in you and make you the person I wanted you to be for the glory of God and for the good of people. When I think of the glory of God and good of people, I think of a guy named uh, Horatio Stafford. Now, some of you know that name, some of you don't. Horatio lived in the 19th century. He was a prosperous lawyer, a real estate investor, a devout follower of Jesus. He was good, right, as far as tight with Jesus. He lived comfortably in Chicago with his wife, Anna, and his four young daughters. At the height of his financial success, while living in Chicago, the great Chicago fire comes through. And because he was so vested in real estate, it almost wiped him out financially, completely. About a year later, they're still trying to dig out from that. And Horatio turns to his wife and says, let's go to Europe. Let's, let's just get out of here and go take a vacation. And as his wife, Anna, and her four daughters, their four daughters are getting on the ship, Horatio has a business dealing coming up because he needed the money. He's like, you go ahead. I'll meet you over there. While the wife and four daughters are traveling across on an ocean vessel, it gets struck by another vessel and Anna blacks out, and they pick her up on a debris floating in the frigid Atlantic, and his four daughters die. He gets a, a telegram from her when she makes it to England. It was the greatest sea tragedy prior to the Titanic until the Titanic. It was the greatest sea tragedy ever. Hundreds of people died. She sent him a telegram that says, survived alone. What do I do? Horatio leaves Chicago to bring his wife home. And on the Atlantic, because the captain knew what was going on, Horatio uh, is woken up in his cabin by the captain. He says, sir, we are at the place, the sea grave of your four daughters. I thought you'd want to know. 
he goes up on shore and brings a piece of paper with him and pens this hymn, which many of us have found comfort in. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, what church? It is well, it is well with my soul. One of the greatest hymns ever written. But the story doesn't end there because God always uses trouble, allows trouble, for his glory and the good of people. When they came back to Chicago, they started over, and they had a young son named Horatio. When Horatio was three years old, he died of scarlet fever. And their well-intended church, I'm sure, after all this tragedy, turned to them and said, something's wrong with you, spiritually. And they kicked him out of their church. The the Spaffords didn't know what to do, and so they decided and had the conviction, we're going to move to Jerusalem to, quote, imitate the lives of first century Christians as closely as possible. They were heartbroken. They'd lost everything. And over in Jerusalem, they soon became known for two things, their love for the needy and their devotion to the scriptures. Even through that trouble, they wouldn't let go. And specifically in the needy, because of their heartache, you know who they loved the most? Children. And they would bring children into their home and bring children into their home, Jewish children and Arab children, Jewish children and Arab children. Um, Their own daughter caught that vision. And when the Spaffords died, they had already started at that point the Spafford Children's Home. This last year, the Spafford Children's Home served 30,000 children in Jerusalem, Jewish and Arab, providing medical care and food. And it continues to this day. They stand as a testimony that God doesn't want trouble to define you. He wants to define you. And through his presence, uh, through his perspective, there's a place for you. Through his guiding you along the way, your troubles can be used for God's glory and for the good of people. Let's pray. Look at that trouble that you wrote down. And in your mind's eye, I'd like you to place it before the cross and look at its true perspective. There is a God who loves you. Whether you follow him or not, I can tell you with assurance, there is a God who loves you and invites every single one of us to follow him as the way. In other words, God, I will do life your way, including these troubles. And I'm just going to be blunt Life won't make sense apart from Jesus Christ. Eternity won't make sense apart from Jesus Christ. So can you lay your troubles at the cross and give your life to Christ today? Renew your commitment to him. He's not caught unaware. Jesus, I thank you that you promised your peace in the midst of this life that troubles don't need to define us, nor do they need to uh, take us down. Your peace is greater. Every trouble, you're greater. So I pray today we would walk as people of hope, as people who have this intimate relationship with you, who are doing life your way, who are being made in your image. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.